Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to I Want You to Watch This. If you are listening right now, you should go ahead and click that subscribe button, that follow button, whatever it is on your platform that you listen to podcasts on. Just go ahead and subscribe to us. Leave us a review if you're on iTunes or if your podcatcher does have a rate and review feature. Please feel free to leave us a review. We would love to hear what you have to say. And if you have any movie suggestions, you can always send us those too over on our Twitter at IWYTWT. All right, let's get ready for the show. So, 100 episodes, you guys. Uh, we did it! Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> to both of you! Yeah. I did not do 100 episodes, obviously. I mean, I've technically only done 99, so... Oh, this is true. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Colin's the only one that's actually... I, I wasn't on the first episode. Oh. Colin's the only one that's technically done all 100 episodes at this point. So, congratulations to both of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> more to you, though, Colin. And you get more. You get one yeah. extra. So, what's been your favorite episode, movie, moment... On the pot so far, Colin. Ooh, um, Bahubali, okay. probably. Yeah, I, I think it still comes back to Bahubali and like what a big surprise that was for us. Like as it grew, just be like, this is the most epic thing ever. Yeah, like, Drew brought that one to us, and it was definitely the most pleasant of surprises. Um, I still think uh, I love our Gone Girl argument. That was a fun one. Ooh, uh, I haven't where listened to that one. No one thought Neil Patrick Harris was creepy in that movie except for me. What? And How did you not think he was creepy? <laughs> I, I need to go back and listen to this yeah. one. Yeah. I'm concerned. I think I forgot about that entirely. <laughs> yeah, no, um, uh, Amanda, uh, shout out to Amanda Pritchard-Yogo, um, brought that up like a while ago because she was listening to the episode uh, maybe a couple months ago and brought up like, no, like, Craig, you're right. Neil Patrick Harris was totally creepy in that movie. Yes, and I like terrifyingly went back and listened creepy. to it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no. Because, well, so the whole thing was um, Neil Patrick Harris, like, brings in Rosamund Pike's character yep. and, like, has her, like, at his, like, little Traps compound. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, <laughs> and everyone was, and, like, Dennis and Cole were like, no, he's just, like, you know, taking care of her. And I was like, no, he's <laughs> no. trapping her there. No. Like, he yeah. has cameras everywhere. He is, like, Monitoring watching her every move. Yeah, yeah, he is 100%, <laughs> like, creeping the fuck out on her. Yeah. And I was glad to have that confirmation, like, almost a year after the fact. Because <laughs> I was totally, like, on the episode, I was like, I don't know, we need, like, some women to chime in on yeah, this. Cause because, it's terrifying. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, this feels, like, very, and I, uh, I, uh, compared it to if you've ever seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia mm-hmm. when Dennis is talking about like his boat thing and he's like talking about like having like a woman out on your boat and it's like implied that you know like well where are you gonna go like what are you gonna do and it's like you're not gonna say no it's like anything could happen out oh, here in the God. middle of nowhere on a boat where no one can hear you scream like <laughs> and I get like you guys just were not picking up on that, and I was like, I, don't I, I guess we weren't. <laughs> but How I was, I held strong on that. Well, Tara, how about you? In your short time here, do you have a favorite moment? Uh, a movie that you've enjoyed in particular? Uh, I don't know. 
I, Into the Spider-Verse, because I think that that was, I had not expected it to be nearly as good as it was, and I was getting to see it with with both of you in the theater, and then going right yeah, into talking go, about directly it. Directly to yeah. the recording. Yeah. And as an animator, I'm sure that was yes. just like, I know, and I keep thinking about the, the 9,000 things I would have said <laughs> if I hadn't just been like so excited, <laughs> you know, that I've seen it a couple more times, a little bit more articulate about the animation, but fuck it, it was great. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I got that one actually um, on YouTube because that's a movie that's like, I want to keep going back to that. I want to go through like my favorite parts frame by right, frame, frame by, by frame. frame. Yes. Like, I just want to absorb every part of that movie yes. and I love it so much. Um, but yeah, so yeah, thank you guys all for joining us. Thank you for, you know, those of you who have been with us since the beginning. I know we got at least one OG listener out there. Shout out to you, Caroline. Uh, oh, for, Caroline. Yeah, like, Thanks for being with us. Yeah, since the beginning. So thank you for sticking with us. Uh, thank you all for listening. And yeah, today we are going to take it back way, way back. So yeah. A hundred years. One hundred yeah. years ago. <laughs> one hundred episodes, one hundred years into the past uh, with the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, and so we are going to talk about this movie that... Um, I feel like we can just get right into spoilers. We jump right into spoilers. <laughs> yeah, because I feel it, like if you've had a hundred years, one hundred <laughs> yeah. years old. If you haven't seen it, that's on you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think we can. We can jump we can in. safely yes. assume that yeah. anyone that wants to have seen this movie, it's available on YouTube for free. On every on yeah multiple platforms. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you haven't seen it yet, like feel free. If not, it's also understandable because. Maybe we'll you're not. Maybe you're not yeah. into silent uh, German expressionist art films. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's just not <laughs> your thing. Yeah, in 2019, yeah. you know, with like <laughs> everything that we have available to us. Um, yeah, I can see how this movie laid the groundwork for a lot in film. Um, but also, I can see how this is a movie from 1919. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as far from as a like, different time, from yeah. a different culture, from yeah. a different everything. And if yes. you're not like, you know, a film student, I could definitely see you just not caring to, about like all the specific influences that this movie might have because yep. I'm sure there are plenty of things that passed over my head like watching this movie um, I definitely like had to do like some reading on like expressionism yes. a little bit of like history lesson on you know this is like just after World War One, yep. right before World War Two, as like you know the rise of fascism was like rearing its head in Germany again and so yeah there was a lot of uh, subtext of that within this movie that without having done any reading I would have just been like hmm that's interesting I like and that I like that also, it's, yeah. it's a movie that like I it after I went back and I read the synopsis I was like oh now that makes a lot more sense yeah. <laughs> I was like yeah, yeah, it's definitely from a different era of cinema, right? That if we th talk about silent cinema or early silent cinema, I can do some like notes on watching silent film if you guys are interested or like ways to think about it. Uh, yeah, we can yeah. get into yeah, that. Absolutely. Like, I feel like we should talk about this, and then once we get through that, since we're gonna be not breaking this up into spoiler non spoiler. Oh, right. yep. After our break, we can get back and tar our favorite film professor here can provide us with a little bit of additional, but yeah. So uh, this movie is about a. It takes place from the perspective of a man named Francis, uh, who is telling the story of this wild and just outlandish tale of uh, a man named. Dr. Caligari, 
and he is uh, one of the first things that I did notice about this movie was we get like a flashback, which is I feel like yes, it begins um, in flashback. Most, yeah. <laughs> most of the movie is a flashback. Yes, uh, and so I thought that was one of the really cool things that they did was the um, the flashback uh, transitions were really cool. Um, that but, we still use today, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Dr. Caligari is um, trying to get a permit for uh, his kind of like sideshow act, which is uh, a sonambulist, which is just a fancy word for a sleepwalker. This is, I, yeah, that was one of the first <laughs> things I had to do was like pause and look up that word. <laughs> and I was yes. like, oh, sleepwalker. Okay. <laughs> sleepwalker, got it. Also, mesmerist just means hypnotist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I feel like is probably the easiest, um, like, show, like, the easiest act to, like, scam. It's just like, yeah, this person is totally sleepwalking, not just acting like they're doing things with their eyes closed. I wrote down almost the exact same thing. I wrote, like, man, it was, like, easy to, like, just be, like, have any sort of entertainment back then. It's like, this guy's been asleep for 25 years, and I'm going to wake him up. Don't you want to see it? And people are like, sure, yes. I believe you. Yes. <laughs> like, I totally believe the that this pen. guy is going to sleep. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I mean, again, this is before Netflix, you know, this is before <laughs> Michael Bay movies, yeah. you know, we, we didn't have like the level, the height of entertainment that we have, that yeah, we you have know, now. these days, yeah. you know, so. This is not, pre-Transformers movies. <laughs> it was a simpler time. <laughs> um, so yeah, he is uh, doing this act and this sun ambulist is able to see all things like past, present, and future. Uh, and so a man comes up and you know wants his future read and uh I, this is alan i believe so there's francis and alan who very much look alike um but you know you know me all white people look the same yeah. to me, so <laughs> yes. yeah. everyone in this movie was just like who is, is that the same person no. yeah I, I have to jump in here because like the print that we watched the like youtube version that we watch the online version that we all watch the same version of like it was really hard to tell the characters apart because yeah. it's not a great yeah. transfer from clearly an interpositive and so i was like wait who's going who's that again you know it, it actually was partially the print also the style of i didn't know how much yeah. of it was the printer how much of it was like the makeup or like the style of it because they really did all like, apart from dr caligari they all look exactly like yeah yes, <laughs> yes. yeah uh, there's a subtlety there that perhaps we are missing yeah. in terms of, uh, both the texture of the film itself like the film quality that we saw but then also everyone is styled very similarly yeah um, so yeah, we get to this man coming up and asking, you know, his future be told. He wants to know when he'll die. Uh, and the son ambulance named Caesar um, tells him that he will be dead by the dawn, I believe he says. Dead by dawn. Dead yep. by, dead by <laughs> Evil dead, dead by dawn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so he tells him that he'll be dead by dawn. And we uh, very shortly are cut to him sleeping and him like a shadowy figure like literally a silhouette creeping Shadow. up yeah <laughs> <laughs> creeping up and grabbing him in his sleep and plunging a knife into him uh and killing him and so uh as we shortly move on the premise of the movie becomes trying to figure out who killed him because uh again this is a it's a mystery. It's, well, a, it's well, part the, mystery, part horror movie. Yeah, right at the same time, or right shortly after he is killed, an old woman is killed, and there's a man who, like, 
is arrested or like confesses to the killing of that old woman and so they're trying to figure out if it was like this guy who's doing a multitude of killings or if it's just this guy who killed just the old woman yeah yeah (laughs) and so yeah they are very suspicious of you know this weird looking doctor and his son ambulance who have just rolled into town and then, like, and all of a sudden, murders start happening. And so, so yeah. Is one of these things related to the other? Yeah. So, yeah, they're immediately suspicious. And uh, one of the interesting things that they do is they um, have someone who's, like, trying to spy on Dr. Caligari and look and see. And while he's sitting there, he's sitting there and it looks like uh, Caesar is with him. And at the same time, another murder happens. And so when that happens, they are kind of everything in this movie sorry everything in this movie just moves really fast (laughs) (laughs) well it it both moves really fast and And really really slow slow at the same time well yeah so like each individual scene like is taking its time like when caesar um goes to uh jane uh who is like the love interest in this movie uh francis loves her uh alan also loves her i believe and then uh Caesar becomes obsessed with her and so as he's going he's been he's going to murder her but then at the last minute he becomes obsessed with her and so he kidnaps her instead and uh the thing about this movie is these really getting into that like expressionism is those these crazy sets which I feel like are amazing they're incredible yeah yeah yeah, I think that that's probably why this film is so well regarded today is because of the sets and all that. But I, I we, we should get through the plot first because y'all are doing a much better job of summarizing it than I would. Because I'd just be like, <laughs> let's talk about the sets. Because <laughs> the plot, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, so yes. So uh, Jane is kidnapped and then there's like the town comes to like try and rescue her and to chase after Caesar. They... Um, he ends up back dropping to like, her. Yeah. What? He ends up dropping her. Yeah, he ends up dropping her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they try to get back to Dr. Caligari, and they're at one point they're investigating Dr. Caligari, so they go to this um, institute, like a mental institute, and they're like, do you have a patient named Caligari? And he's like, well, we can't discuss that with, like, only the director of the institute can discuss who our patients are. Well, so before we get there, like, the reason we get to the mental institution is because they go back to Caligari's place, where he's like sitting with the the cabinet that is supposed to be holding the sonambulist and they discover that it's there's a, a dummy inside. Yeah. It's and so, not a real person. <laughs> da, da, da. And so like he literally just like runs away like <laughs> like that uh, gif of a uh, Skeletor like running out. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just Dr. Dr. Kelly running away. Nice. <laughs> and so he runs away and they yeah track him to, track this, him mental to this mental institution. institution and they're like, okay, well, only the director can discuss like who patients, our patients are. Yeah. And so he goes to meet with the director and turns out the director is Dr. Caligari! Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and this is a moment where, again, that like that fast moving like kind of pace of the progression. Like in, narratively, it moves really quick. Yeah, because it's like we're introduced to this mental institution, and then within like three minutes of this mental institution being discovered, like we find out that Caligari is the like director of it. Yeah. The big reveal that he's the director, exactly. Yeah. Uh, like, which is like a place that we didn't even know about three minutes ago. <laughs> which I, again, I can talk about pacing in this film. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so, yeah, they um, 
find out that Dr. Caligari is the director of this place, but then we go into dun, dun, well, dun. and then so like as they're going through his yeah, they notes, start going through all the books and notes and papers and everything. Yeah, and then then we get another flashback within the flashback, which I feel like another really well done transition of since we're already like in this flashback, like the screen like fades down into like the bottom left corner mm-hmm. and then like fades in from the top right corner into this memory within a memory. It's beautiful, yeah. yes. And that was, oh God, such an amazing transition. Uh, and so, yeah, we go back and it turns out that uh, Caligari, you know, they pretty much go into how he has been, uh, he came like looking for someone to kind of like do his bidding and he found this sonambulist and decided to like research everything that he could about sonambulism. Yeah, and he finds like that the same technique was done in like the 1100s. And yeah. Oh, and that was. That, oh that was God. a part where I could not read. Yeah, no, those I was, yeah. <laughs> I was like, just about to say like the torture of like having to. Like they were like, let's have it be like actual like doctor's handwriting. <laughs> yeah, and, and so much of your understanding of what's happening is dependent on you being able to read these things. And I'm like, I, I, I it's nothing. I cannot read this. <laughs> also, I feel like a few things that like didn't exist during the time that this movie came out. Uh, Miranda rights, <laughs> uh, HIPAA. <laughs> and search warrants. Yes. None of those things seem to exist within this world and during this time. Well, it's 1919 and it's Germany. Yeah. <laughs> Between yeah, wars, it's, Germany. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever like, read me. I, I want to read. My, I want to know my rights. <laughs> like, give me my rights. Yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah. It's like, no, you're going into the gulag. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so... After that, we come back to... Do we come all the way back to the present from there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is, okay. Yes, we, we, we come back, back to, to the like, the Francis shot. and the and the older man who are sitting in, like, the garden. In the very opening shot. And, yes. and he back, goes yeah. and he talks to Jane. He's like, when will you marry me? And she's like, oh, I'm, like, royal, so I don't get to choose, like, my own, like, decisions within love and everything. Because now she's a queen. Because now, yeah. yeah, suddenly she's a well, queen. Well, because then... <laughs> Reveal, reveal! It comes out again that Francis is also in the mental institution. Francis is a, is a patient yeah. in a mental institution, and Doctor Caligari is his doctor. Yeah, and Jane is also with this institution. <laughs> so, da, da, yeah, da. yeah, it's it's like a twist ending within a twist. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, Wizard of Oz, like where it's like all of these characters have like played their part within this dream sequence. Of in the this like, yeah, yeah, of this unreliable mm-hmm. narrator mm-hmm. who, um, yeah, who have, like now we come back and we see, oh, these are all just manifestations of, you know, his, you know, fevered state. Of his, his madness. Yeah. So, like these are all just like things within his own psychosis. It's, yeah. Yes. It's really cool. Yeah. It, it is like very stylized and very of its time, but like for a movie that's a hundred years old, like there's a lot of really sophisticated things that are happening here. And I feel like even at the end, they still do leave it kind of ambiguous as far as like, did I say ambiguous? <laughs> ambiguous. <laughs> as far as um, Dr. Caligari's motivations too, because they still kind of give it like a kind of a darkened, like he turns to the camera at the end and it's kind of like a, the end question, question mark. mark. <laughs> yeah. but like the last line is like, oh, now I know how to cure him. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, but it, it turns around and it still has this kind of ominous feeling to it. Yeah. And it, in a way, it doesn't really matter, right? Because if expressionism is all about taking that stuff from the inside and spewing it out into the external world, like the mm-hmm. plot definitely follows that, right? Yeah. That that's, it's, even the narrative structure itself is that, like, wait, does it matter if we're at the end? Nope, because this is all about this internal state of fear and madness and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. this movie is drenched in expressionism. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. So that is pretty much the narrative structure of the movie. Do you want to maybe take a break and then we'll get back and talk about some of your... Expressionism and yeah. cinema and stuff. Yeah, we'll get into history. Yeah. We'll get into set design. You we'll did. get into... Wow, you all summarized that way better than all I the would fun have. Things. I'd have been like, I don't know, stuff happens for like 45 minutes. <laughs> in a like an hour and six minutes and <laughs> turns out that he's in the madhouse. Yeah, that, um. that would have been my summary. So, well done. All right, we will be right back after this short break. All right, and we're back, and we're back especially with Professor Tara. Oh, she's, goodness. she's putting on her glasses. She's Teach us get- some stuff about expressionism, because I haven't taken art history since I was like a sophomore in college. <laughs> well, let me get out my tweed jacket with the elbow pads, exactly. put on some glasses, and begin to profess. Well, first I want to like just talk generally about silent cinema, so and dispel some myths about it. So silent cinema is also called early cinema because it wasn't that silent, right? The version that we watched had a soundtrack. Almost every um, theater house had a live um, either pianist or singer or someone or like making, an orchestra or something. Or an orchestra, yeah. like people making sounds. So today we're like, oh, it was silent. No, no, no. <laughs> it was both experienced by the people there with live music or live performers. There's also the audience would come in and out. like. You could buy a ticket and walk into a middle, the middle of the film and just kind of watch it that way. It wasn't really until Psycho in um, yeah, the 50s. Yeah, and that's, that's yeah. the way yeah. that movies worked until like the 1950s. Yes. So they would just be playing it on a loop and you just come in whenever. Exactly, right? <laughs> so people are coming in, people are coming out, people are eating, there's music going on, right? So this idea that it's this pristine, we have to sit in hushed silence. Yeah, that's not how it was meant to be experienced, um, yeah. which is kind of one of those things that post 60s becomes a, a way that certain filmmakers or certain people think about silent cinemas it's, it's this austere you have to sit in dead silence and how dare you make a new soundtrack for it nope just put on i don't know put on your favorite album put on dark side of the moon and watch it <laughs> listen to a podcast while you're watching it who exactly. cares let's, actually we that would be a good way to watch the film because we just gave a summary like listen to this i know we just gotta it. stretch this out until like an hour and six minutes so people can watch this with exactly <laughs> exactly the right time and yeah uh, so one thing I did about that whole like kind of like class kind of like that class structure mm-hmm. that like perception of it I did find interesting was um, kind of the difference between the language that's used and the imagery that's used within this movie like it felt like kind of like this um, like high class pulp almost <laughs> yes. where it's like they use this like very like you know like Oh, yes, and he went hither and thither and thereon beyond. I actually and wrote down, <laughs> help, help, it is he, the killer. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it's very, like, 
sensationalist. It's very like it's melodramatic. Made. Yeah, it's yeah, over the top. Yeah, it yeah. did. It did give me an appreci- a new appreciation for my favorite movie, Singing in the Rain, because that's all about like the silent movie actors and how like the big the pantomime is and yes. stuff, and how big that is. So it's the two traditions, right? The literary tradition that's coming into this, the hither thither <laughs> high <laughs> art, as well as the kind of both vaudeville and then stage kind of theatrical design that's coming in, kind of clashing yep. together. Yeah, and that like. I was kind of frustrated with the version that we watched because a lot of so in addition to silent film not being really silent it's also black and white film tends not to actually be black and white the one we saw had some tinting to it but I think that's because it's a crappy transfer (laughs) but people would actually paint so like you would paint the entire piece of strip of film blue and that is what makes a scene shot at night right or -hmm. like orange would mean like dawn right so I'm guessing that you know we were talking earlier about the dawn is you'll be dead by dawn that would probably both be painted blue in the nighttime and then yellow, uh, yellow or kind of orangey. So, and and that's another thing that would like last into the '60s. Like when you watch like Doctor No, it's like a scene that's supposed to be at night, but there's hard shadows everywhere. Yes, because they just filmed it in broad daylight and they put a filter over the I camera. Put a blue filter over yeah. it. Yes, <laughs> yes, because it's really hard to shoot at night with the kind of film stock that they had. So blue kind of equals that that's a code that still exists today yeah um it's also that there's like multiple versions we were drinking about this during the break that we saw the shortest version of this i think i've ever seen (laughs) there's like an extra 10 minutes in there that i don't remember where it's cut from (laughs) but a lot of this era of cinema that there's multiple versions of stuff right there's ones that are that can be double the length sometimes on some silent films because they'll be like, oh, well, if you take it from this archive or this print that was found in Germany versus that print that was found under someone in somebody's basement in Poland, right, that there are all these kind of multiple versions. So a lot of film critics will say, oh, well, this is the definitive version or this is the definitive... The director's cut. The director's (laughs) cut or the the vision. But uh, you know what? It's a lot more plural than that because everybody cut them up all over the place. Yeah. So and this is what like public domain, right? Is that I don't know if it's technically it's probably technically owned by somebody. It should be in the public domain, but the particular print probably is uh-huh. owned. A- I still remember that like that whole like Disney thing of that madness of changing copyright. Domain. Yeah. Uh, so because Mickey Mouse is supposed to be in the public domain, so Disney very aggressively changed American copyright to make yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, that you mean? <laughs> did we talk about that already? Maybe we did. I don't think so. I don't know if we have. But, oh, we yeah. can do a whole show stuff. on copyright if we want. <laughs> we could bring in uh, some people from my family because my grandfather was a like, uh, law professor and his specialty was intellectual property. Oh, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yes, we should talk about that. Actually, when we talk about Miku, we could talk about copyright because it yeah. gets really, really messy there. Anyway, so the last thing about silent cinema I'll say, and that I don't know if y'all felt this, but I certainly did. The pacing feels so different because some things are happening way too fast, as you were saying. Yeah. Some things are happening way too slowly. And that's partially because this is 1919, the kind of film grammar and syntax that we're so used to of how long something should take uh, on fracturing time and space still hasn't been developed yet. It's still kind of in the work. So just that opening shot of there's the two of them talking and then there's this weird close-up, which is from a different angle, and he's almost looking directly into the camera, and it's vignetted with this circle around him. Like, wait, what? How did we just move from there to there? That yeah. cinema is about fracturing time and space, but the, it's like 
order speaking words, meaning still understand, but out of order. You know, and, I... and we're moving around and everything with these like jerky iris moves mm-hmm. that are like zooming in on this like really slowly and jerkily and then like zooming back out and like you can see like how much this influenced but it's still like watching it today you're like wow they just had time to burn back then (laughs) well they also didn't the extreme close-up didn't exist yet (laughs) so the idea of how do you draw your attention you draw it the theatrical way you do by kind of highlighting it with light in, in the yeah, space controlling. Yeah. In, in, in theatrical lighting, we refer to it as selective focus. Exactly. <laughs> so here it's selective, like how much of the frame you can see. So it's kind of borrowing both from literary traditions and then these theatrical traditions. And the like, the, every close-up is kind of weird in this to a modern eye. Yeah, Yeah. well, because the, the camera never really moves at any point. It doesn't zoom. It doesn't pan. It doesn't really do any of that, except for like this one scene where... It's like they're all kind of like discovering Dr. Caligari's uh, work. And that's like the one time where they're all looking over it and it kind of like pans across them mm-hmm. as they're like all discovering this like huge thing of like what Dr. Caligari did and like how he made this whole thing happen. Uh, but like pretty much other than that, it's just like everything is static uh, as far as the camera and everything else is like moving like in and out of the frame. Yes. And yeah, that selective focus where it's, yeah, it's not zooming or it's not zooming no. in or out it's just like there and then yeah it's I'm, i feel like it was probably done in post as, as far as like shutting like doing those shutters yep some of it's post some of it's probably in camera you'd have to see a film print a good film print to really tell which the pixelation on this was too great to be able to see it. <laughs> but i think you're put, making you're both making really good points here in terms of like because it was both a technical limitation, like it's hard to move the camera around, right? It's hard to light everything. Um, but it's also that it was more the point of view of a theatrical viewer, right? Because if you think about it, if you're watching a stage play, you don't get to move around. You don't get to zoom in. You don't get to like walk up onto stage and like look at something close up, yeah. right? Yeah, because so, cinema is still so new and it's that so we're like, we yes. have to like use conventions that are more like practiced so you have to go back to things that were done in live theater because that's what we were used to and that's what audiences are used to yes and so like that's why it takes like uh, the length of a shot is so different because you need to see someone walk all the way out of frame right you can't just have someone turn and start to walk out cut to another shot it's from that theatrical tradition of watching them walk out of frame it drives me nuts because i'm like fast forward and, and it's also <laughs> like still the things are like very jerky and i don't know if that's a result of like the frame rate if this is a thing where it's still like hand cranking the camera so you don't have like a real steady and regular frame rate yes yeah it's both that it's that the registration the kind of film jumps out of the registration a little bit like all see that that part doesn't bother me like the kind of jitteriness of it it's something that you get used to the more silent film you watch the more you it, it, it like goes away right it's kind of yeah. like you know if you live next to a church and hear the church bells all day long you don't hear them anymore like you don't kind of don't see the jerkiness anymore yeah so that kind of reminds me uh back to the like sense of theater and staging yes. Yes. um of a movie that i feel like i'll probably make us watch at some point um because i really loved it and i want to watch it again uh thoroughbreds um it's like uh, let's see, Olivia Cook, Anya Taylor Joy, um, Anton like, Yelchin. It was like two thousand sixteen, two thousand seventeen. Yeah, two thousand seventeen. And it got it, it got delayed because of Anton Yelchin's death. Yes. Um, but uh, it's direct. It's like the first uh, film uh, by Corey Finley 
who comes from a theater background yes. and it's like very apparent like when you're like looking at it when you're watching it like how everything is staged Super and it theatrical. looks very theatrical yes. and it's amazingly <laughs> done and I love it so much uh, and so yeah I might make us watch it it's like about like one girl's like a sociopath and the other one's like uh, super like rich, uh, Wealthy, also kind elite. of a sociopath, yes, but like yes. <laughs> slightly different sociopath. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they set out to like kill her stepfather. Yes, uh, and so yeah, it's really it's really I, interesting. I'm surprised movie. that you like that movie. I really dislike. Oh, we Did we watch it together? This. I think we watched it together. I know. I think yeah. maybe Lance, Lance watched. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it all so, comes back yes. to so Lance. I, I, yeah, I think we should. I think we should talk about that because because again, that kind of very mannered, kind of heightened. Uh, theatricality, right? But it's played for realistic acting, yeah. right? So I think that for a lot of people, the kind of over-the-topness we were talking about of the performances. So first of all, silent cinema or early cinema is over-the-top because it's coming from this theatrical and uh, vaudevillian slash traveling theatrical tradition. It's also that it's German Impressionism, so it's way over the top. <laughs> yeah. right? like, it's intentionally extremely exaggerated and a rejection of realism. This is not mumblecore. This is not, you know, it is the opposite. It's intentionally very heightened. Yeah. So that, I think, can be a barrier for a lot of people, in particular for German Expressionism, because you're like, why, why is this so over the top, right? But the scenic design, everyone is like, yeah. wow, it's great. It's yeah. so cool. <laughs> Why are those stools so tall? Those are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so, uh, and that was like one of those things that kind of like recurs over as far as like, um, and reading about kind of like the, the comment and the critique on authoritarianism mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. within this movie as far, as far as like everything being on, uh, like really high like everything that's in authority being like exaggeratedly high like so like when that first set when we see the city it's like there's like the castle at at the the top top. of it and then everything else is like below it and then it's like coming down with these angular lines yeah and yeah and then it's like the same thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) they're not like going anywhere but they're like very noticeable Yeah. yeah and so yeah that's kind of like the whole thing of like the Hi- the hierarchy of everything yes. of like being like exaggerated to the extent where it's just so absurd that anything would need to be this high up like anything that would need to be like this like above everything else yeah and when he goes to see the city clerk the city clerk is sitting on a stool that is like six feet high yeah. yes <laughs> yeah, like he's like standing at like the clerk's leg like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, again, it's not realism, right? It's intentionally, if expressionism, to summarize, like, a wing of the library, (laughs) expressionism as, like, kind of exploring the interior, subjective, really personal, like, pain and loss and all the kind of internal things and kind of expressing them on the exterior, maybe, Uh, like... I think the most famous impressionist work is um, Monk's The Scream, you know, the painting where it's kind of like a ghostly face and going, oh, like Home Alone style, hands on your cheeks. (laughs) That that kind of uh, being able to talk, like, how do you take all these interior subjective feelings and put them out? So it's both for political purposes, right, of this kind of really extreme hierarchy. It's for kind of metaphysical reasons. Um, it's funny that we love the sets, but we hate the acting because the acting is intentionally that same really, really. It's hyped. a manifestation of the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Of kind of like the insanity, right? That it's in a mental hospital, that you have this twist ending about betrayal, that you have this narrator who is totally unreliable, as you're saying, right? That you can't be trusted, that it's a story within a story, flashback within a flashback within a flashback. <laughs> um, and that you have these kind of fear of unknown horrors and kind of unknown desires, right? That the, something comes out when you're hypnotized and you can't control yourself. So that being expressed visually. And expressionism was like a thing that grew out of Germany, like from in this exact period, like between yes. the wars was when expressionism as an art movement was happening. Yes. And German expressionism in particular is being really about kind of the German psyche where there's mad inflation during the Weimar period. That If you make money today, you better spend it tonight because it will probably be worthless tomorrow morning. Like a lot of what's happening in Argentina right now. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but and that, it, and that it, everything was made really cheaply, right? This is part of the reason uh, or part of the motivation for this is that it's really hard to light something well and kind of keep it consistent in here is like nope we're just gonna have this big swatch of painted color yeah they like painted, painted the shadows painted like, yeah. the shadows right it's cheap it's fast it's expressive it's kind of physicalizing all this interiority yeah well so i had a question so uh, if this were made today who do you think could direct it <laughs> well oh <laughs> sorry i won't should i say snarky things <laughs> oh no no <laughs> please uh, go ahead no, no snark I, no cursing yeah, on this right. goddamn podcast i know snark. who would want to direct it but i wouldn't want them to direct it which would be tim burton because you can I see mean, oh god yeah. it would be yes right. it's tim his wet Bur dream tim yes. burton is the obvious answer but it's also would be insufferable but please don't do it please yeah don't yeah, right? yeah. Like, <laughs> so uh, he would probably be the one who would do it. And it's like, yeah, Edward Scissorhands is already a German expressionist film, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, Beetlejuice already pulls from so much from this movie in particular that it's like, come on, dude, you can do something new and quit making crappy films for the last 20 years. So. Yeah, and then Johnny Depp would be in it. And it well, would, see, so uh, I feel like that's who he would cast as like Caesar. Caesar. But yes. okay, so here's what I had yeah. as far as like casting. Because <laughs> yep. I was like, it. yeah, I, mean, I was like, I couldn't think of anyone other than Tim Burton. And I was yes. like, oh, whatever. Yeah. But uh, Caesar, I would love for Rami Malek to play Caesar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rami Malek would be better, but if, if, if Tim Burton was making it, he would cast Johnny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for Caligari, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I, I would do Helena Bonham. Again, if it's Tim Burton's version, it's Helena Bonham. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> <Dr. Caligari>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or would she be Jane? No, like, she would be Dr. You would have to be Dr. Caligari. Because Jane is too small of a part. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, for Jane, I wanted uh, Tati Gabrielle, who is uh, Prudence in the in the Sabrina show right now. Oh, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, feel, yep. like, I love, like, the um, dark eye, like... She does like the really like the cool like shadowed eyes really well, and I feel like that would translate. Is she from Mad? Is she the girl from Mad? Is she Sally from Mad Men? I don't know. I've never seen actress? Mad Men. So. I, oh, okay. I have not seen either Sabrina. Or, I've I've I'm seen like sure the first season of Mad Men, but okay. Like, yeah. 
Uh, and then for Francis, uh, be a de-aged Christopher uh, Crispin Glover. <laughs> and then for Alan, well, like, you it'd just be... want like a time loop Crispin Glover, like Crispin Glover from the CGI like... de-aged yeah. Crispin Glover, <laughs> a Tarkin Crispin Glover. And then for Alan, it'd be a slightly less de-aged Crispin Glover, <laughs> since they look the same. Way. <laughs> <laughs> you do two Crispin Glovers alter the CGI to be like <laughs> yeah I, I like this already can you direct this instead of Tim Burton please <laughs> so yeah that would be oh. my casting for a 2019 cabinet of Dr. Caligari <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah do you guys have any other notes for the uh, cabinet I- I just had to leave the thing about, like, yeah, like, entertainment was really cheap back then. You could just be like, yeah, come into my tent. This guy's been asleep for 25 years. Just believe me. (laughs) Um, I also had, like, continuity just did not matter back then because there's a bunch of times where, like, he'll, like, have a knife in his hand and in the next shot he doesn't have the knife in his hand. And then, like, it's just, like, they... That was not a thing that was invented yet. Um, like, or parallel action, right? The idea that two stories could be happening at the same time, right? Like, a cut from one scene to another that are happening continu- at the same time. That hadn't been invented yet. So you're like, wow, I'm still only in the present. And, and There's only is, one thing going on at a time. This is, like, one of the first horror films. Like, I don't yep. necessarily know if it's, like, the first horror film because in the 1001 movies you need to see before you die book that we both have they talk about like a vampire movie from like two or three years before this one yeah no not nosferatu is like los vampiris it's like a french film yes and then irma vep is the remake of los vampiris yeah yeah uh but this is like one of the first horror films that's ever been made and i was goodness it's like the first movie that has a twist ending I think Dr. Mabuse, the series of Dr. Mabuse probably has, but it's an early, yes, it's, it's new. Yes, yeah. this is a, it's also, but, you know, uh, viewers would be used to kind of literary traditions of having twist endings or like having yeah, a twist I mean, ending in a, a theatrical. There were yep. lots of plays that yep. have twist endings. Exactly, so. exactly, but. yeah. But I, you're, I think you're right. This is probably one of the earlier ones that, that has it. I would have to go back to my early cinema books that are <laughs> sitting on my shelf Just in my yeah, office. Blow the dust off of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that um, for me, the thing that I really both love and hate about this film is that it's so much of the period and it's so much of the time that unless you have a lot of context about what expressionism is, German expressionism, it can be a little like impenetrable to watch. The timing and the pacing is very much of an era. That said, the idea that you don't have to be realistic and real like anti-realism as like a um, weapon potentially a political weapon a metaphysical weapon that's what I love about science fiction right that that's what I love about all these other genres that come later um, and what I love about horror right yeah and and like watching this it's like so apparent of how much grew out of this movie yes. like yes. how many things were like direct we can still make today are directly referencing this it's it's pretty cool in that sense yeah and it'd be like watching like if we did us was our last podcast it'd be like watching us a hundred years from now in you know india or something so it's another (laughs) culture it's another time it's a hundred years ago i don't get any of the references why does everybody look the same right like but because it would be a really really subtle costuming difference that you know audiences of the time would immediately pick up on that we today are like huh is that the same I feel picture? like one thing a hundred years from now, I still feel like I got five on it. Will 
have now been, will now have been like a yes. horror classic. Yes. Like a hundred years from now, no. they'll be like, oh, you mean that like horror classic? That horror like, classic? Yeah. Wait, wait, that, that was a, like a popular hip hop song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> wait, no, no, no. It was always a horror. It was always the horror soundtrack. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, all I've got left is that it has an 8.1 on IMDb. It has a 100%. Rotten Tomatoes because critics. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, film students. <laughs> yeah, film yeah. students. If you're really into film history and like being a, a film person, you'd better like this movie. Yeah. Um, and it has an 89% from audiences. That's actually higher than I would think that yeah. would be. Yeah, like, me too. Yeah, I mean, because again, like I can see it in the sense of it being, yeah, something that shaped a lot of what cinema became. Um, again, if I just like, if I hadn't been doing this podcast for like the last two years, if I was just kind of randomly came across this movie, I might just be, I might just kind of give it a what the fuck type of yes. like feeling. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and I feel like probably anyone that's like actually watching this that took the time to review it probably like on uh, Rotten Tomatoes probably does like well they have yeah. uh, have a like a actual like film interest in film or like they yeah. yeah or they just like do have like an appreciation for film and so yeah i feel like anyone that probably took the time to watch this movie and write about it on rotten tomatoes probably did it from the perspective of like i want to view this as what it's contributed to I, film history. Yeah, I would say that's the bulk of like just movie goers who are going on Rotten Tomatoes to write a review. But the fact that it's eighty nine means that there are like a few people who are like, I don't get it. There's a few people are who are going on being like, what's going on with this dumb movie? Yeah. yeah. But I guess like I, like I do have a film history background, right? I'm technically not a film professor because I don't want to have to teach films like this all the time, right? <laughs> um, and so I personally, like, when I step, I have my like, kind of critical opinion, which is that this is this fantastic movie um, for all these reasons we've talked about and more. If you, There's like a, you know, PhD seminars on, you know, psychoanalytic readings of this film, endless, endless theory that you can kind of um, pull from it. Personally, I don't like watching this film. It's so slow. Um, I've, if I'm going to watch something from the silent era, I'd rather watch like five other films, honestly. Again, yeah, and I I can see that pretty easily because, yeah, it is a movie where um, we're all of our time. Yes. Yeah. We are all yes. of the time that we are currently living yes. in, and, and this movie is not. And so, yeah, again, without that analytical lens of it, uh, and just kind of looking at it as someone who's watching movies in 2019, yep. it's just like, oh, the, the effects aren't that great, you know? Well, like, well, it's yeah. just like, I you mean, know, like... It's, 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 <laughs> I, I am very glad to have seen this. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm glad that now this is something that I, like, know about and that I have seen it. Will I ever watch it again? Probably not. Yeah, no. Like, for exactly the reasons you're talking about, with the pacing and all things. But also, it's an hour long. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, so, and it's a long hour. Yeah, <laughs> for a well, contemporary it, it's, it's audience. It's not like um, yeah. one yeah. of the only other silent films I've seen, like uh, Journey to the Moon, which is like twelve minutes. Yes, it, this is an hour. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. So, yeah, that wraps us up on the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Uh, and when we get back, we'll have some recommendations for you and a couple of shoutouts.
All right, and we're back. Uh, we'll do a little shout out first uh, to Ryan Terry, who is a regular listener on the podcast. Uh, thanks for always listening and commenting on our episodes. And if you, I'm sure that Ryan has um, done a write up on this. Uh, let me see here. He is at RLTerry1 on Twitter. Uh, he has a website that is RLTerry Real, Real View. Uh, and so that's Terry, T E R R Y, and then Real View as in a movie reel. So R E E L View.com. And yeah, he is a professor. Uh, he is a film professor as well. Um, I've read a couple of his um, early reviews on his site. And I can't remember right now if he has one on the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, but I would not be surprised if he did because he is a real film head and he has probably forgotten more about film than I will ever know. So <laughs> check out his site. He's forgotten more about film than both of us combined. Let's yeah. <laughs> say all three of us. Add me in there too. <laughs> so yeah, uh, check out um, Ryan L. Terry. Go follow him on Twitter. Check out his website. Um, and as usual, uh, thanks to Amanda. Always awesome. Thank you for, yeah. Just being a friend. We traveled down the road and back and again. Back again. <laughs> yeah, you know, your heart, your heart is true. true. It's very true. And yeah. you're a pal. You're a pal and, and a, a confidant. confidant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coincidentally, a confidant as well as a pal. So, yeah, um, yeah thank you. You can follow Amanda at Amanda's Picture Show Go Go. Um, she also has a podcast called Mafia Minute where she goes through The Godfather one minute per episode. Uh, and so or, uh, the episodes are longer than one minute, but she yeah, goes but she goes through, through one, one minute, minute of, of the Godfather, Godfather yeah. per it, episode. Like, well, there's lots of podcasts that do that. There's like Star Wars Minute. They did a, a breakdown of the, um, <laughs> oh, what so, some airline safety video. They did like a breakdown minute by minute of it on Pistol Shrimps Radio at one point. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> All right, I'll watch that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, go check out those awesome folks uh, and give them some follows and listens. All right, and now it's time for some recommendations. Uh, I will start since mine is completely unrelated to the movie that we just watched. <laughs> um, it is a comic because... I'm a comic book nerd, and so welcome Yay. to Craig's Comic Corner. Uh, and I will recommend The Magnificent Miss Marvel. Um, so Saladin Ahmed has taken over writing from G. Willow Wilson. I'm sorry, I'm not getting her name correctly. This is my first Miss Marvel comic, uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, it is G. Willow Wilson. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I like being accidentally right and not butchering people's names. Uh, so, um, yeah, check it out. It's a brand new number one. Uh, so you get um, a pretty good history of the character as well as a good direction for uh, the where the character is going now. Uh, it is also a part of the creative team is uh, Minkyu Young, I believe, or Jung. I'm sorry, either way, if one of those is wrong. <laughs> I hope one of them is right. Uh, Juan Velasco and Ian Herring. Uh, so yeah, check out that. Uh, it's a pretty awesome team. The uh, art style is pretty dope. Uh, the cover is gorgeous. And the writing is fantastic because Saladin Ahmed, uh, he writes a lot of my favorite things in comics. He's also written Abbott. Uh, he's writing Miles Morales Spider-Man right now. 
He also wrote Exiles, which was one of my favorite series that ended way too soon, and I'm still a little bit upset about it. But <laughs> um, yeah, so check out the Magnificent Mrs. Mar Ms. Marvel, excuse me, which All is right. different from the Magnificent Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was like mixing it up there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what do you got for us, Colin? Um, I'm going to recommend a Netflix uh, stand-up special, uh, Nate Bargatze, The Tennessee Kid. Um, really, really funny stuff. He touches on, you know, a lot of universal stuff, a lot of air travel, like being married, um, like tells some really funny stories about like some cheap weddings that he attended growing up in Tennessee. Um, he also touches back on some of the great stuff he talked about in his half-hour special in um, the Netflix series The Stand-Ups, which I believe I recommended earlier. But if you haven't seen that, check out The Stand-Ups because there's a great uh, half-hour by Nate Bargatze, a great half-hour by Kyle Kinane, a great half-hour by Aparnam Cherla. Um, but just to come back to what my original recommendation is, it's an hour-long stand-up special by Nate Bargatze on Netflix called The Tennessee Kid. Dope. Tara. What's up? Yeah. Okay. So if you like this film, <laughs> if you actually watched it, are we at a minute, it's an hour and six minutes yet? <laughs> We're gonna, yeah. You just have yeah. to push it for, you... push it for another 10. <laughs> well, we had to count breaks. So just push your recommendation for like 14 minutes. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to exit across the entire frame. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're just but this take... is a podcast. So we will narrate as Tara yes. walks, walks across, across take the Take your recommendations with care. <laughs> As slowly or as quickly, but preferably slowly I'll, I'll as possible. We'll it is she, titles. Tara. She shall recommend things I for us. I shall be recommending. And now I'll say it. I shall be recommending. Now you can have the title card again. <laughs> okay. So if you like this film, um, I would recommend Metropolis um, and M by Fritz Lang, the letter M um, for murder. Uh, both uh, same period, but with a much higher budget <laughs> than these films. Um, a lot more narrative and kind of M in a particular uh, is kind of sets the crime procedural for um, a lot of what comes after it. Uh, I would also recommend Blue Angel, which is kind of at the tail end of um, the German Expressionist period with Marlene Dietrich. This was her first wow. big international role where she plays a burlesque dancer, Lola Lola. Um, and it is kind of a staple of both feminist and kind of queer um, history. Um, you know, oh, that image of Marlene Dietrich with her legs over each other that I texted you, I don't know, a while ago. Anyway, that, that's that film. Um, and then if you like this, then obviously you would also be interested in film noir, um, American film noir, which borrows very heavily from the ideas of German expressionism, again, of all this anxiety and internal turmoil and political unrest, kind of outside the body and expressed through insane lighting and really um, strong camera angles and kind of heightened dialogue. So um, Reckless Moment is a Max O'Fool's movie, which is phenomenal. Um, pick up on South Street, again, going more in the kind of crime end of things. Um, and Kiss Me Deadly, which I think I've mentioned before, but that's where the glowing case from uh, Pulp Fiction, like that's where that comes from, is from that movie. Um, yeah, and so you might like film more. And then, you know, Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice as two, yeah. two it, it, direct Go watch some Tim Burton movies before Tim Burton became insufferable. Yes, Tim Burton <laughs> in the 80s and early 90s, please, only. <laughs> 
Uh, there's a really great uh, Anish Trailers, I think, just did a Tim yes, Burton they one dropped recently. This week, yes. Yeah, that was, it was really good. It's like one of those every Tim Burton movie yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, mm, he's, a, he's working on a lot of uh, childhood things in his movies that become very apparent when they're like lined up side by side and it's like oh there's a lot of recurring themes that over it and seems over like and over <laughs> there's there's some maybe you're getting a lot of this out on film and yes i, I hope you're seeing a therapist <laughs> <laughs> everyone just like therapy is good for anyone but like yeah. tim burton like please be seeing a therapist <laughs> all right you guys thank you all for listening we hope you'll join us again uh you'll can listen or sorry if you're listening still you should give us a follow give us a like give us a review um you can follow us on all of your podcatcher apps we're at want you to watch this if you don't know the name by now then i don't know what to tell you but thanks for listening <laughs> and not having any idea what this is so far uh and you can follow us on twitter at iwytwt we are also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash IWYTWT. You can find both Colin and myself individually online. Where are you at, Colin? I am at Colin Mush. And I am at Catharticus. And you guys, thank you so much for listening. 100 episodes. Like, this is... 100 episodes! Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're so glad that Tara has joined us on this journey um we are just so happy to be doing this and it's just really fun so thank you guys for joining us on that fun journey all right goodbye Same channel. I always put us on the same channel. Same channel. Same channel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think we're good. Okay. <laughs>